Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, so we're going to finish up our Matthew, uh, message series today on Advent. Uh, we've been reading Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we got just about halfway through Matthew chapter 2, but this message series, Advent, uh, is centered around this uh, Latin word, Advent, which means arrival. And so the purpose of this season is not just to get to Christmas. The purpose of the season is to treat the whole month um, kind of like a celebration and a preparation, right? So we celebrate during this season um, by singing and um, gathering together and and sharing uh, some of the traditions that we've had, giving gifts. Those are all ways that we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus. He showed up the first time um, and brought salvation to the world. He reconciled those who were far away from God back onto the Lord. Uh, So that's the purpose of celebration. But we know that there wasn't just one arrival, there's coming a second arrival. He's coming again a second time. That's his second advent. So during this season, we don't just fill our lives with a bunch of celebration. We fill our lives with celebration and also preparation because we don't want to be caught unprepared for when he comes. So the celebration part, we've kind of got down, but the preparation part comes through us doing things like we're doing today, studying, reading, preparing, um, and as we talked last week, obedience. Um, But as we read through Matthew chapter two, there's two other components I wanna touch on today that revolve around this concept of preparation. So how do you prepare for the second coming? Um, Well, through study and through prayer and through obedience like last week, but this week, we also prepare for the second coming by listening and letting go of fear. So those are the two that we're gonna touch on today and that's kind of the way I want us to end this, not just this message series, but uh, kind of what we've been talking about and thinking about through this year. And the reason why I wanna do this is, well, it's no secret that this year has kind of been a wild one. It's been, had some ups and downs, it's pretty exciting. We're not done yet. Um, So there's still plenty more within the last week that this year could throw our way. Uh, But the point is, is that in uh, seasons of uncertainty, when you don't know what's gonna happen, that is fertile soil for fear to grow in your life and to take root. And that has happened to a lot of us. Because you don't know what's going to happen, you start walking in more fear and less faith. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing because Jesus is not returning for a bride, his church, that's full of fear. He's returning for a bride that's full of faith. That's the point of this entire book, that we walk by faith, that we're saved by faith. That, that, that everything that we do is a step of, I trust you and not me. I trust you and not what I'm hearing in the news. I trust you and not what my neighbor said. I trust you and what's not on the shelves at the grocery store. Right? And that seems ridiculous because like, well, there's like tangible stuff. You got to have toilet paper. You got to prepare. You got to have milk, you know. I get that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not making decisions rooted in, I have to do this because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. That's just not what we do. We're people of faith. We're not people of fear. We don't say, I got to do this because if I don't, I'm afraid of this thing happening. 
And that stuff just kind of bubbles to the surface without you realizing it. It's, all, it's like kind of thorns in your yard, kind of the part of your yard. And some of you live in neighborhoods and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you live out in some property and you kind of, there's a part of the yard, you get lazy and you don't want to cut and it starts growing up and pretty soon you walk through there and there's just kind of like, uh, it's not just grass anymore. There's like thorn bushes and they get caught all over. The That's the kind of stuff that grows on the part of your heart when you just choose to not acknowledge it. When you ignore it, you think you're good until the moment you realize you're not good. And that moment you realize God put you in there to, real, to, to help you realize that, hey, you have to stop neglecting these things. It's time right now during the season of Advent to think about the stuff you like ignoring about all year long. So that's what this is about. This preparation is a preparation to, to start getting serious about listening to God and also letting go of fear. So before we start reading chapter two, I have just a small side note. Last week we talked about, we read the Christmas story and we kind of um, read about uh, the wise men seeing the star, the Christmas star from far away and it led them um, to uh, Herod and then ultimately to Bethlehem. And we talked about what that star might've been and one of the possibilities, that is, it's a pretty po popular possibility, is that it was, the Christmas star was actually uh, a phenomenon where uh, these, celestial uh, objects in the sky, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, they aligned in such a way where they were sitting right on top of each other in the sky and it gave the illusion that they were the brightest star in the sky. And what happened was uh, kind of because of the orbit of these planets, it has a way of kind of going up and going down and creating this illusion on the horizon that is kind of like pointing, hey guys, Bethlehem, right here, this is where you need to go. And so a lot of historians, smart guys, they think that this is probably what it was. And I'm bringing this up because that celestial event is happening again tomorrow night. You may have read this in the news, but tomorrow night, Saturn and Jupiter are going to align um, dead on top of each other and become the brightest looking star in the sky. It's gonna happen tomorrow night, the 21st, um, right after the sunset. It's gonna be probably in like the southwest by southwest part of the sky. So if you were here up at the community center, it's like right over there, because we were here for a rehearsal dinner on Friday night, and that man, they were pretty close, and we saw them up in the sky. But the reason why this isn't important is because the last time this happened was in 1246. So like this hasn't happened in 800 years. So, I mean, anybody with a telescope they're pretty excited about this because the last time this happened, most people didn't have telescopes. So this is an exciting event. And if the clouds are right, definitely take your kids outside. Just go to look at it because this is the kind of thing that only happens every 800 years. You don't want to miss this, right? So that's my side note. Uh, make sure you check that out. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's uh, um, definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity. So let's go into Matthew chapter two, verse 12, and let's pick up the story. And rather than reading and then stopping and talking and then reading some more, I'm gonna go ahead and finish chapter two. So I'm gonna pick up in two, 12, and then I'm gonna read through the end to 23. Uh, and I really only wanna talk about two things. We're gonna look at the way that God spoke through dreams, and we're gonna look at the way that God fulfilled prophecy through the life of Jesus, even as a child, and how those two things kind of help us understand the importance of preparation through listening and also preparation um, through letting go of fear. So uh, Matthew chapter two, verse 12. It says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, which was the wise men, departed to their own country by another way. Now we read that last week, but I wanna read it again because of what they were, how they knew not to return to Herod. So God warned them in a dream, don't return to Herod. 
So they departed their own way back uh, to the country by another way. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So he did it that night. God said something and he obeyed immediately. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This is one of the reasons why last week I referenced that it was a good possibility that the wise men did not show up to the birth of Jesus. Because when Herod is making this execution order, He's basing it off of the time frame of when the star appeared, and he's kind of working backwards and kind of hedging his bets probably. So it may have been as much as two years uh, later when they showed up. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So because of Herod creating this execution order to kill these children, a prophecy by Jeremiah was fulfilled. Verse 18, here's the prophecy. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. So he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Now they were going to head back to where they were, which was near Bethlehem. Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where Herod was ruling from. But when he died, his kingdom was split into his three sons. Um, Most of them were also named Herod, which is awkward, because you start reading forward, you start reading about these other Herods who were doing things. Like, there's a Herod who beheads John the Baptist. I thought he was dead. Well, that was his son. So one of his sons takes over, but when he heard that Archelaus, that's one of these guys, was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream. So another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Nazareth is up in the north by the Sea of Galilee so that, when, so that what was spoken by the prophets must, might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's lots of things for us to consider here today as we're reading through this. Um, So first, what I wanna do is I wanna celebrate how God kind of marries the natural and the supernatural. And and what I mean by that is um, the way that he gets the people, his people to do uh, what he wants them to do, uh, he speaks to them in really profound supernatural ways, but what he's asking them to do is just real natural stuff. Like, go here, do that, marry this person, 
right? There's not like, I mean, I had a dream uh, and now I've got to go, uh, like, go take this box and bury it in the wilderness and wait 10 years and then I'm going to come back. And like, it's this weird super, like, it's just, hey, I had a dream. Well, what did he say? He said, move to Egypt. All right, here we go. So this happens five times in this, in this narrative. In Matthew's narrative, we see God directing his people five times through dreams. And they are when Joseph told, was told by an angel to take Mary and raise Jesus. Uh, the wise men were told to avoid Herod. Joseph was told to flee Egypt through a dream. Joseph was told to return to Israel through a dream. And then in another dream, Joseph was told to avoid Judea and move on to Galilee. Now, all these supernatural events um, came with these simple commands of not going here and don't do this. And to me, this creates a sense of celebration because it shows that when the angel spoke to Joseph, hey, um, uh, this promised child, uh, he's, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, he's, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. It, it, it reinforces to us this idea that we don't have a God who's far away. We have a God who's in our midst, right? Which is to me, one of the things, like if you go through like any normal like music streaming service, has it ever caught uh, you strange that like, our faith is the only one with music. Is that weird? I'm not saying that like other faiths don't have songs or chants, or the, but like we, man, we're a singing people. We sing a lot. And we're pretty expressive in the way that we sing and the way that, like the Bible is pretty clear. There's a way that the people of God are supposed to respond to God, right? God says in his word, this is how I like being talked to. When you come into my presence, this is the stuff I like. I like when you guys sing. I like when you play instruments. I like when you guys lift your voice. I like when you guys play on the drums. I like when you guys play on the guitar. I like when you guys lift your hands. I like when you guys shout. I like when you guys clap. These are things that God said, I like for you to do when you come in my presence. Right? Imagine going to a birthday party and bringing a present and you hand it over and the person opens it and they're like, what is this? Oh, it's my favorite toy. Why did you buy me your favorite toy? Well, I, I love it so much. I figured you'd love it too. That's what it's like when we come before God and ignore what he says he likes and we just bring him whatever we like. We're really into this, God, so, so, so we're, we're gonna do this for you. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's a nice thought, but that's not what I asked for. That's not what I like. Well, it's what I'm comfortable with. It's what I like. Well, this isn't about you. The whole point of this is it's about him. And so this idea is that when we come and we celebrate, we're celebrating the fact that God chose to be among his people. He chose to say, here's how I like being approached. And I'm not just gonna just come and get close to you. I'm gonna take on human form and I'm gonna let creation raise me. He submitted himself to earthly parents. I mean, think about that. Jesus, who in, like he spoke the world into existence, chose to take on human flesh and then submit himself to earthly parents. He chose to say, I'll do what you tell me to do because it's important to obey my parents. Well, Jesus, you kind of invented the concept of parents. You came up with the idea of parents. 
yeah, but I'm gonna submit myself to it because it's the only way to be able to reconcile my people back unto me. And so when we see this, this is cause for celebration because God chooses to speak. He chooses to intervene. He chooses to communicate with his people. And in this text, he's doing it primarily through dreams. Now that should cause us to celebrate because we're all here because this happened. We all have faith in God because this is a reality. This is a thing that happened. But it didn't stop here because there is no evidence anywhere in this book that God has decided to stop speaking the way he has always spoke. What does that mean? That means, as you read through here, there's nothing that would point us to the idea that dreams or visions have stopped. In fact, Acts 2.17 tells us that those things, dreams, visions, supernatural occurrences of God intervening into our physical world, those will only increase as we get closer to the second advent. So whether you're comfortable with it or not, it's coming, it's going to happen which is good, right? Because for us, we like to kind of rest on what we're comfortable with. And we're comfortable just reading a book. But the moment that God starts intervening and making the stuff that we're reading about a reality in your daily life, and it reminds you how little of the control you actually have in your daily life, we start getting really uncomfortable. You mean to tell me like God would, would, would speak to me in a dream? Oh, absolutely, he probably has. And maybe you just weren't listening. This is a thing that happened in the Old Testament a lot, but it happens in the New Testament a lot. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite was the moment that God made it clear to his followers in the New Testament that Gentiles, hey, we're, we're part of the party now. He gave a vision to a Roman centurion. I want you to go find this guy named Peter, and he's going to tell you about getting saved. And at the same time, Peter's on his roof praying, and he has this vision of this sheet coming down out of heaven, and on it is all of this food he's not allowed to eat. And the angel says, get up and eat. And he's like, I'm not touching any of that. And he says, no, what was unclean is now clean. The interpretation of that is, hey, there's a Gentile coming to knock at your door. He's going to ask you about salvation and want you to preach to him. All of that happened in dreams and visions, and all of that happened after the Old Testament. We have no indication this stuff stopped. So what does that mean? It means that God loves speaking to his children and one of, not the only way, but one of the ways he loves speaking to his children is in dreams and in visions. So that puts a responsibility on us to take seriously the way that God speaks. So in preparation for the second advent, what is one of the things we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be listening. We're supposed to be taking seriously the things that we see God saying, I do. Well, I'm not comfortable with that one. Well, guess what? The moment you say that, you've just signed yourself up for a whole lot of that one thing. Because that's the way God, that's the way he works. Like, oh, I'm not really good with, uh, with waiting. I'm, I'm not really a patient person. When you start praying for patience, guess what? Yeah, you're gonna be stuck at every red light in town you go to Walmart, you're going to get, it doesn't matter what time of day, there's one person working. There's 47 aisles, but there's one person working, and you're in line. Congratulations. You just signed yourself up to get changed because this is the one thing you're not comfortable with. This is how he works. He's like, I, I want my people, 
looking like this kingdom, not this kingdom, not the world. So that requires you letting go some stuff. And some of us, it's, le- it's letting go of the idea of like, well, that's, uh, God's not speaking unless I'm reading it in here. Well, that's just not true. That's just not true. God speaks through um, the teaching of the word, through reading. He speaks in times of prayer. He speaks in dreams and visions. And so our responsibility is to take this seriously and start listening. So when I say take it seriously and start listening, what does that mean? That means some of you, you need to get a little notebook, a little notepad and a pen and just put it by your bed. Because if you pray, Lord, speak to me tonight as I sleep. You're gonna be surprised how many times you wake up with some kind of, whoa, that was a weird dream. And look, not every dream is from him. Some dreams, they're just, you had too much coffee the night before, and it is weird stuff. I'm not saying every dream is from him, but I am saying this, this is a precedent. This is something he does. He's done it multiple times. He did it five times in two chapters. This is him. He does this kind of stuff. So we should take it seriously because you're gonna, be, you're gonna wake up in the middle of the night and you're gonna have this vivid dream and it's gonna be filled with some symbols and some things you don't really understand. My advice to you is to write it down and then when you wake up the next morning, take that notebook, set it right next to the Bible and pray, Lord, give me some interpretation of what this is. Man, we read through Genesis and um, the entire nation of Israel was saved because of a dream that was given to Pharaoh that Joseph interpreted. This is in God's wheelhouse. We may not be comfortable with it, but it certainly is in his, and he's comfortable with it. So we have to take it seriously by doing things like writing stuff down, taking it to scripture and comparing it, because here's the thing. God is not gonna say something to you that is contrary to what is in here, what he's already said to other folks. So if he tells you some bizarre, weird thing, hey, it's not him. If you, don't, if you wait against this, and it's out in left field, leave it in left field. But you're gonna be surprised at the way that God wants to work and speak if you just start listening. And one of the ways that he speaks is through dreams. So, when you weigh it, and you see what God is speaking, then do it. Obey. Do what Joseph did. When you hear a dream and God is clear, Get up and obey. All right? And if, here's, here's, I'll just offer this. If you get, if you get a weird dream and you're like, man, I, I had this dream and it's weird and I can't shake it. Uh, and I know, I know it feels like God is saying something to it, but I don't understand. Bring it to me. All right? We'll work through some of the symbolisms and try and kind of figure out what God is speaking. Because here's the, here's the interesting thing. God uses symbolisms. There are some symbolisms that are kind of common across the entire Bible, right? Like the number seven, the number three, like that's pretty, like seven, that's rest. Number three, that's Trinity, that's, that, like, that's God. Number six, all through the Old Testament, that's the number of man. There are some constants that kind of run all through scripture, but there are some things that when God speaks to you that really only make sense for you because for you, that specific thing, like a bus is really profound. Because something happened in your life with this situation with a bus, and every time a bus pops up, that memory pops up. So God is going to speak to you when he's addressing this thing. He may use that symbolism. Am I making sense? You're like, man, you're going way out. This will be my last Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) 
But the reality is, like, this is, this, is, this is what he does. This is what God does. And it's our responsibility to be following his pattern and his, uh, the, the way he does stuff. And, and in my experience, this is, this is some of the stuff that he does. So if you get lost, if you get confused, you don't know what to do, come talk to me. Um, I'm not saying that I'll have all the answers, but we'll figure it out together. Amen? All I want is for us to take seriously that God does this and for us to ask for it because what we want is more of him, right? Like we don't want more so we can start walking in and stand up here and say, well, I had a dream, everyone listen. Like this isn't your show. This isn't for you to kind of get accolades for us to say, oh, this guy's a prophet, amazing. We're not interested in that. We're interested in more of God. We're interested in getting on board with him. We want to hear what he's saying. We want to get, we want to get on mission with him. And one of the ways that he does it, according to scripture, is through dreams. So we want to take it seriously. Now that is a cause for celebration, but also a call to preparation. We need to start listening. Now the other thing that, that Matthew shows us uh, in his narrative is that God fulfills uh, promises or prophecies three different times. Now the examples of these um, are when uh, in verse 15, when he says, out of Egypt I called my son, that was a prophecy when the family fled to Egypt, when they ultimately left Egypt and came out and returned back to Israel, Matthew was telling us that was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea 11.1 when he said, out of Egypt I call my son. And it happens again in verse 18 where Herod executed the children to eliminate Jesus. Matthew was telling us that's fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah 31.15. And then there's this other one towards the end of uh, 23 when they moved to Nazareth. We're told that Jesus being raised in Nazareth was fulfillment of the prophets, not just one, but them collectively, the prophets saying that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now these fulfilled prophecies are cause enough for celebration. God said this stuff would happen 500 years before it happened, and then it happened, praise God. That's pretty amazing. God has the ability to know what's coming in the future, and he tells us that it's going to happen so we can get ready. That's excitement enough. But there's another component of this that's even more exciting and causes even more celebration, and that is the way that prophecy works. Prophecy is both foretelling and forthtelling. Now, what I mean by that is um, in the Old Testament when a prophet would speak, there was a component of predicting the future, the foretelling. This is a thing that's gonna happen in the future, okay? But there was also a component of the prophecy that was forthtelling. This is a, a, a making of, um, what I'm saying is uh, I'm making it public and, and, and it is related or connected to something that is happening right, specifically right now. So when a prophet would speak, he would speak in a way that would impact Israel at the time right then, but whatever the prophecy was that impacted them was really only just a, like a big billboard sign pointing to something even greater down the road. So you had these components within prophecy of the former and the latter. Are you following me? If not, you can go back and listen to it later. So there's the, there's in, within prophecy, so when an Old Testament prophet you know, in, in 700 BC would make a prophecy, he'd be speaking about something that was taking place in Israel, but what was taking place in Israel was really only a shadow of something greater in the light of Jesus 700 years down the road. So the prophecy wasn't just about predicting the future, it was about here and now, and how the here points to the, ne the, the, here points to the, the next, the latter, and how the latter actually sheds 
sheds light on the former. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. In Hosea 11.1, when he says, out of Egypt I called my son. That was a prophecy about God bringing Israel out of Egypt, okay? Remember the story of Exodus? Moses leads them out. When Hosea is speaking that, he's, he's the fourth telling is the specific component of, hey, this is a thing that God did. We all remember when God brought Israel out of Egypt, brought my son out, like we all remember that? Yeah, but, but when he did that, that was a tremendous thing, but we kind of all missed the fact that when he did that, that was really only just a whisper or uh, in a, a kind of a shadow of the ultimate better Moses whose name is Jesus, who's not just leaving, le- leading Israel out of bondage, he's leading the entire world out of the bondage of sin. So the component being, when Hosea is saying this, he's referring to Egypt, or Israel coming out of Egypt, but he's also tying in this component. You guys all know, are we all familiar as the people of God? We're familiar with how like, God freed Israel. Okay, you get that concept, now take that and apply it on the worldwide scale, and that's what Jesus is gonna be doing. And that's what Matthew is saying. For his Jewish audience in this book, he's saying, hey, all that stuff you guys read about, that God did through our nation, we're starting to understand that he didn't just do it for our nation. He did it to kind of build his resume of what he was going to do when the ultimate job showed up and Jesus was born. You following? So he doesn't stop there, he gives us two more. Hosea 11.1 was that example, the, the, the former pointed to the latter, but when the latter shows up, when Jesus is here, it actually clarifies the former. Oh, now I get it. So this thing that he did in Israel, like it wasn't just for us, but I don't understand that until the latter has come and now Jesus has showed up. And this is why Matthew's saying, hey, you remember that prof- when, when the prophet said, out of Egypt I called my son? Oh, now I understand this. This is the way that he's working. And he does it again uh, in uh, verse 18. So in verse 18, it is uh, Jeremiah 31, 15. The prophecy is about weeping and loss. And he says, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now the former loss the voice heard in Rama, um, you guys kind of, and I've kind of run through this numerous times, but um, kind of through the history of Israel, after they were freed out of bondage from Egypt, they went into the promised land under um, uh, Joshua and they kind of settled and everything's good and everybody's got land, but as you do, you kind of start ignoring God, you get settled, you get comfortable, and then you stop doing what you're supposed to do and you fall into sin. And then there's this period of, in Israel where the judges were raised up, they weren't kings, they were military leaders and they were executing judgment when the people would fall away from God and there was that period and then you've got this king who rises up and it's Saul and then there's David and there's Solomon and eventually the kingdom splits after Solomon dies. You've got northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom refuses to have the the righteousness to God and so God's like, you know what? You're done. So he he raises up Assyria to wipe them out. Uh, I'm giving you like 700 years of Israel history right here like two minutes. So all you're left with is the southern uh, part of Israel, which was called Judah. And this is when a lot of the prophets are prophesying. 
And they're refusing to be obedient to God. And so what God says is, okay, I'm gonna raise up a nation to, to take you into bondage. And this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, now y'all catching up, comes in from Babylon and he gathers all the people of Israel and he puts them in shackles and chains and guess where he did that? Ramah. He gathered everybody in the city of Ramah, he bound them up and he started the march to Babylon. And so when Jeremiah is saying this, the fourth telling, the, the making public, the this is happening right now component, is that this voice was heard in Ramah of weeping and loud lamentation because Rachel was weeping for her children. Rachel was considered kind of like the mother of Israel because that was the, 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 the wife that, um, that was really cherished by her husband. That had, she didn't have all, most of the children, but she was the one who, that Joseph loved the most, or that um, Jacob loved the most. So Rachel was weeping for her children. Why is, why is she weeping? Because they're now, they've lost their home. They're essentially as good as dead. They've been shackled. They're being marched off into Babylon as slaves. And so Jeremiah is saying, I'm seeing this picture of a mother who would weep for her children because there is loss. But that, that moment, that is just a small shadow of what happened when Jesus showed up and actual children were being murdered because the king is here now. And the rulers of this earth don't wanna fight for power, and they're convinced that the best way to get rid of the kingdom of God is to just kill as many as they possibly can. So the component being, this is a thing that happened, but it's really just pointing to the even greater thing that's gonna happen when Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, you're gonna look at what's happening when he shows up and you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, oh, that makes so much more sense. Now I understand that prophecy on how it actually fulfilled then, but it was also talking about here. And now that I'm here, I'm looking back and under, and now we're 2020 in the future and we're looking back on both of these going, man, God, how did you thread this needle? because it doesn't stop there. Here's, here's a really fascinating one. So the last one here in verse 23, this is when he uh, lived in a city called Nazareth. So what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now here's what's interesting. The prophet spoke that Jesus would be a Nazarene, but Nazareth wasn't a city in the Old Testament. Nazareth wasn't established as a city until the Romans showed up. So there is actually no prophecy in the Old Testament that referenced Jesus coming from Nazareth because Nazareth didn't exist. So when he's saying it was fulfilled by the prophets, not some specific prophets, it was fulfilled by all of them that he'd be called a Nazarene, what is he talking about? Well, there may not be any prophecies in the Old Testament about this place called Nazareth, but this place called Nazareth did have a reputation when Matthew wrote this book. And the reputation of Nazareth up in Galilee, up in this small little fishing town, was that it was a nowhereville. Nobody came from this place. Guess what's in Nazareth? Nothing. They don't even have a blinking yellow light. They got a population of like 15. 
Nothing, this is why uh, when uh, um, the, the news starts coming out that Jesus is who he says he is, um, the response in uh, John 146 by one of his disciples is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because the attitude at the time was that place was nowhere. It was a, it had no connections to any royal uh, lineage. It had no connections to you being somebody. Where are you from? I'm from New York City, I'm from Atlanta. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, I've, I'm, my family, my, my dad was the, the mayor of this town. Like, no, there's none of that. It's barely a town. <clears throat> so in the Old Testament, you've got tons of scripture not referencing this place called Nazareth, but you have lots of scripture referencing the idea that God's servant, <clears throat> God's chosen one who would bring redemption, would come from basically Nowhereville. He'd have no ties to, um, you know, he, he wasn't um, some uh, king's or senator's son. He, he wasn't like the son of the great rabbi of the time. And so obviously like this guy knows what he's talking about. He, he kind of just showed up from nowhere. He was born in a manger. He grew up in a town that was barely a town with no royal status, no connections. He didn't get the job because his dad knew somebody he just showed up, he was baptized by his cousin in this river, he disappears for like 40 days and then he shows up and he just starts preaching with authority and power and he's making everybody upset because the stuff he's saying is true but nobody likes it. So what Matthew is doing is he's connecting the attitude at the time of this place called Nazareth with the prophecies that everybody was uh, familiar with was that this is a backwoods town. No, th th this, this, there's no history here. There's no you know, status. Matthew's connecting that reputation with the fact that all the prophets spoke that this is the kind of guy we're looking for. We're not looking for a guy who's gonna be, he's gonna excel in school and wear all the merit badges and he's gonna be like Rome's puppet, this fake king that was a stab. No, he's, 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 he's homeless. He's a homeless guy. And he's good with woodworking. He can build a strong table and he doesn't have a house. This is the guy you're gonna follow. And he's gonna say things that are gonna challenge you, but you know deep in your heart they're right. And ultimately he's gonna be murdered. He's gonna, he's gonna be hung on a cross like some kind of thief. This is the kind of guy who comes from Nazareth. He's got no background. So the prophecies in the Old Testament are all saying, hey, what we're looking for is a king that's like us, that's from us, that doesn't want what we want but wants the kingdom. He's a better, he's a servant. He's not one who sits on a throne and dictates down. The, the God's man, God's servant, God's son is the kind who gets down and he's gonna wash the feet of his people. That's what we're looking for. And so when he finally shows up, it's like, oh, that's what they were talking about. I, I read it and I kind of understood it, but when I see it, I'm like, oh, that's what it means. It's pointing to this, but it's also bringing light back here. Now, that was a lot of examination about prophecy. What was the point of all that? Why did I spend all that time explaining to you about the different components of the former and the latter and, and foretelling and foretelling? Well, it's important for you to understand as you're reading a scripture, especially when we get into Isaiah, but Matthew is connecting this because he wants his audience, 
which is Jewish believers in the first century, but the audience is also us. He wants us to understand that it, it, it has always been about Jesus and it will always be about Jesus. That's it. It's never been about you. It's never been about me. It's been about Jesus and his love for you and his love for me. Why does he make all this, why does he connect these prophecies? Why do we spend time with it? Because if God can do the work of threading the needle thousands of years through history and letting people in on his secrets that are gonna take, hey, here's a thing that's gonna happen 2,000 years from now. Write it down. And then it happens. And then you realize that when it showed up, it wasn't just pointing to this thing, but it also made things that came before clearer. That the entire story of the book of Egypt, now, or of Exodus and, the, and the, 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 the exiting of Egypt, now it makes sense because it gives us this component of what happens to you when you get saved. See, you, in a way, were like a, a, a slave in a foreign land to sin. And guess what? Jesus showed up and set you free to live as a free person in, in, in a new kingdom, in a new way, under new rules, under his leadership. If you can understand what he did then, then you can just start to scratch the surface of what he's doing now. And when you understand what he's doing now, when you look back on the stories, you're like, oh, that's so much sweeter than what it, what, just the story, just the history lesson of Israel. If he can do that, if he can, if he can put all that stuff together so that we can get to the place of salvation, then only two things are true. One, he only had enough power to do it once. He only had enough autonomy and power and authority to get us to the place where we are now saved. And that's it. And he exhausted his power, but we're all saved, praise God. Or two, if he can do it at that level, then walk it backwards, and he still has that kind of authority and power to do it in the small things of your life today. So when I say that one of the ways we can prepare for his second coming is by listening, primarily through dreams, but also letting go of fear, I'm saying that with the backing of scripture and over a thousand years of history of God saying, this is coming, I told you this is coming, I said this was gonna happen, and then it happened. If God knew what was going to happen and had the authority and power to work all things together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, if he has the power to work all things together for his glory and for our good, then why are we afraid of anything? Now, this is important because um, in our day and age, um, the enemy has used outside influences for, to, to put us, the people of God, against each other. They have set us at war against each other and they've used really clever tactics um, to kind of draw lines in the sand on things that really don't matter, right? So when I say certain things, your mind is already jumping to, and here's an example. When I say, you're not supposed to live in fear, you throw your fist in your table, by God, that's why I don't wear a mask. Look, the two of those, are they, they're not synonymous. 
Your refusal to wear a mask is not a declaration that I don't live in fear. And, 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 and for other people, the fact that they do wear a mask when they go out in public is not uh, some declaration that, oh, well, I'm afraid of what I might, that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with that they have an underlying medical condition you don't know about and you don't need to know about. Or the fact that they live with somebody who is at the very edge of eternity and they're trying to do the best they possibly can to not bring something home that would infect them and I, I think that's honorable. So we've been told by other people, here's how you should walk out your faith. And then we're told by God, here's how you're supposed to walk out your faith. And you're gonna have to make a decision. Who are you gonna listen to about how you walk out your faith? And who are you going to listen to about when you say, I'm not afraid, what does that look like? Does that look like every time you get in the car, you don't put on a seatbelt? Some of you are like, yep, by God. Look, I, 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 have, I am a person who walks by faith. I love Jesus, man, and I love trusting him. There are some things I'm still working on letting go, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in more faith now than I ever have. I've told a few uh, folks around here that the, the season I'm in right now as a pastor is, is, has been the greatest season I've ever been in. COVID's been wild and all the stuff that's happened, but for me, it's, it's, it's gotten me to a place that I, I've never been in ministry, and I've been doing this for like almost 20 years. I feel, and I've ex- explained this to a couple people. Um, uh, I had uh, lunch with Jonathan the other week and I was talking about this uh, over lunch. I said, I feel like for most of my ministry career, I was, as the pastor, my responsibility is to sit there and to drive the bus, right? and I'm stopping when we're supposed to stop, and I'm watching out for things, jumping out in the road, and, and my job is, is to get the thing to where God wants it. But, but things have changed over the last eight months or so. I've finally learned what it feels like as a pastor to get out of the driver's seat and to sit in the seat directly behind the driver's seat and to just let Jesus drive. And I'll be honest with you, it's been the best eight months of ministry that I've ever experienced because I'm not driving and I'm not worried about where we're headed or where we're turning. When I need to know, he'll let me know. And I pray regularly. And if he, if he hasn't let me in on something, that's okay, he will when it's time. And we pull up to a bus stop and he opens the door and he says, hey, I want you to get off here and go talk to this person and invite this person and pray for this person. I want you to get back on because there's places to go. All right. And I get off and I get back on. All right, Lord, let's go. That's what it feels like to be a pastor right now in 2020. And I tell you, Living with faith, for me, that's what living with faith and refusing to live with fear looks like. But for you, most of you, you're not pastors, so it's gonna look different from you. But my encouragement for you is when you look at this, he has a long history of speaking to his people through dreams, so take that seriously. Listen to him when he speaks. And he also has a long history of telling the, his people, stop being afraid. When you go and you see the first time the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, what was the first thing the angel said? It wasn't, hey, guess what? Your wife's pregnant, but it's with Jesus. It's don't be afraid. That's the first thing that the angel told Joseph. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So that's the first thing that the angel told Joseph, and that's the last thing I'm going to tell you this year. Don't be afraid. And that doesn't look like what you think it looks like. It probably looks different. Because the way you're supposed to walk out your faith isn't how the news is telling you you're supposed to walk out your faith. 
So get on your knees, get on your face, ask God what does it look like to follow you and to walk by faith and stop being afraid. I wanna be the kind of people, I wanna be the person who stops saying I have to do this because I'm afraid of what's gonna happen. Um, I don't wanna be the kind of person who, who, who parents out of fear and says, well, I've gotta make this decision with my children because if I don't, I'm afraid of what they're gonna grow up into. Do you really think you have that much control? No, you don't. You know what your responsibility is? Model what treasuring Christ above all other things looks like and let him plant the seed in your child to do the same thing in them. Look, I'm all for correction and discipline. Like we say no a lot in my house, even as teenagers. But there comes a time where the no is rooted in some modeling of what we treasure and what we love. So it's not just a no for no sake, it's a no because we treasure these other things and this is more important than that thing. So as we close out this year, this is what I wanna leave you with. The idea that as we approach 2021 and as we're celebrating and preparing for a second coming, we as a people need to take serious the reality that our God is among us and speaks to us regularly. And if he's not, it's because you're not listening. It's not because he's not speaking. And the other thing I want to leave you with is it is time for us to stop walking in fear. People of faith cannot be people of fear. They're opposites. And so whatever that looks like for you, it is a transformation, it is a thing God's gonna be doing, it's not gonna happen overnight, but it is something that if you're consciously asking for, he will do in you, and that's what I want for us. I want us to be people who are free from fear because that is a command that is regularly appearing in the Bible. Let go of fear and don't enter another year making decisions and being rooted and being afraid. Amen? Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.